0: My trailer got stolen right after we were done with the podcast the other day. Laura and I pulled into the shop. And the second I pulled in, I said, oh, my trailer's gone. And Taylor had pulled in beside us with her car. And I said, Taylor, where's my trailer? She goes, it's gone. She like immediately was like, what What do you mean it's gone? And then after uh, I did like a five-minute investigation, I realized it got taken because I called my buddy, Peter, who might have borrowed it. Peter didn't borrow it, but he was working in the shop until 1030 on Tuesday night. And then we have a porta potty and so inside the porta potty, it says like when the last time it was checked. So I called the company and I said, "Was my trailer?" Because they got to pull around the trailer to get to the porta potty. And they said, "Yeah, the trailer was there at two o'clock on Tuesday afternoon." And Peter said it was there at ten thirty on Tuesday evening. And then Wednesday, the morning of the snowstorm, my neighbor said it was gone. So hmm. that's when and my neighbor noticed cuz he kept reminding me that it might get stolen. I was like, it's not going to get stolen. And begrudgingly I chained it up. I chained it up to my my generator, my uh Lincoln generator. I chained them together and somebody cut the lock and took the trailer and left the generator. And So lame. And my neighbor just assumed I took it. So he didn't he wasn't alarmed. He didn't realize I was away. That was when we were driving home from Cleveland on that that Wednesday snowstorm. Anyway, so I got the police involved. I got the state police, I got the local police and they have a you well, know, stolen tag out on the on the plate. We'll see. We'll see if I get lucky. My name was spray-painted on it rather largely in two spots. And uh, just got to wait and see what happens. That's it. Hopefully the community will find it or the police will find it. Hmm. And that's it. I'm just, you know, hoping a prayer. Just uh, my track record of stolen goods. My car got stolen in high school. I got it back a month later. Another car of mine got stolen in the Lower East Side. I got it back about two months later. My Honda dirt bike got stolen in the Lower East Side. I got it back six months later. My Vespa got stolen. I got it back like a week later. So all my things I ever got stolen, I got back.
1: <laughs> and the moral of the story is: don't live in New York City. Yeah, no kidding. Right. <laughs> right?
0: Well, my, my my car in high school, I, I I always used to have this habit of leaving the keys in it. Everywhere I went, I just like turn it off and leave one key okay. in the ignition.
1: Is it really stolen? Then I mean, <laughs> I gave it away. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, so I, I came home and I, I came home from, I was I spent the night at a friend's house. I came home and I said to my brother, where's my car? He goes, I don't know. Where'd you leave it? I go, I left it right in front of the house. And he goes, I don't know where it is. And I said, well, I left the keys in it. He goes, well, good for you. It's gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. And then a, a friend a friend told us that a friend's girlfriend, who was a cop at the time, she saw our name she saw my family name, my name on the on the roster of like stolen cars in Brooklyn. And she said, did, you, did your family lose a car or something to my brother? And my brother's like, yeah, my brother's car got stolen. And that was my car. It was like in lockup, at like a police precinct in Brooklyn. So somebody oh. got in it and drove it to Brooklyn and just parked it on the street. Huh. Yeah. What were you going to say, Dave?
2: As, do you have any emotional attachment to this trailer are you are you bummed out I mean obviously this is a it's a financial loss but
0: yeah no it was a seven thousand dollar trailer I bought it brand new it was a couple years old Ooh. and uh, I think I have umbrella coverage so I could probably get get insurance for it uh, but the only thing that really bothers me is that someone kind of violated my personal space and, yeah you know was watching me and took advantage of an opportunity I mean I, I, I was talking to a friend the other day and I said he's like oh man it's so oh i'm so sorry i'm like it's not really a big deal honestly like when i called the police i tried to find like a non-emergency number i didn't just hit 911 because you know your emotions run high but at the same time you're like you know what okay i still got my health this is really not the worst thing that could ever happen to somebody it's just a stupid trailer you know i'm partially complicit by leaving it out here in the public for so long but it was locked you know i did try to curtail anybody from just walking away with it and then I'm driving around now, and I see trailers in everybody's backyard. I'm like, Why didn't they steal somebody else's trailer? Why, take <laughs>
2: <laughs> Why me? Yeah, no. So
0: Is it's just it like, it's an emotional scar. That's all. A little bit. Yeah. It
1: wasn't wasn't there something special about that type of trailer? Isn't it like a lift or something? Yeah, I no. It's a tilt. I don't remember what it was.
0: Yeah, it's a cam tilt, a cam super line tilt trailer. It's it's an expensive one. It's meant to carry thirteen thousand pounds, and you know, it was like a it was like the upscale model. It was like a you know. It was the, the Cadillac of trailers. It wasn't, it wasn't just <laughs> okay, a I'm
1: writing that down for a title. <laughs> Hold on,
0: it wasn't just like a garden trailer that carries lawn mowers. You know, you can carry heavy, heavy equipment on it. You know, reasonably heavy equipment. And it, and I kept it in good shape. It was nice and shiny new, and the, the chains weren't rusty. And
1: so it's Sounds funny like how, you might have an emotional attachment to it after all. <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, I was just, I I remember getting that and I feeling like, okay, now I'm an upstate hick. I have my trailer. You know, I could park it next to Mm. my house and never use it. I'm officially an upstate (laughs) hick.
2: You got to put it up on blocks.
0: (laughs) No, it's funny. funny, We tell—we got a bunch of fence posts because we had this idea quickly that we might have a horse arena in the back. And so we bought $500 worth of fence posts, which is a lot of fence posts. And they were on the trailer. And I was like, I'm going to ruin the suspension if I leave all those on there. So we took them off and piled them behind the trailer you know, so, mm. yeah.
1: Bummer. That's
0: it. I, well, guess I, I guess I don't have an emotional attachment to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you get it back. Yeah. No, I have a good feeling. I think uh, the community will bring it back to me. I'm hoping that somebody will hear about it and just drop it back off. No questions asked. But
1: What would you do if somebody drove up with it? Just, I, I would be really curious. If somebody drove up with it attached to their truck and was like, look, my bad.
0: I would immediately would take a picture of their license plate, shake the hand, say goodbye, and then call the police on them.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. I would just say yeah. Give him a sticker <laughs> yeah. and a bumper sticker. That guy is
1: it currently turning around in his truck <laughs> going, oh, guess I won't do that. Yeah.
0: No, well, that's just in case anybody, you get an education on things you don't need to know about. But every one of the locals up here is like, oh, they're driving it straight to Maine. They're going to re-register it. If I were you, I'd call the Maine State Police and register it with your VIN number so that when it gets there that they can't register it again. Apparently in Maine has this loophole where you could just drive into the DMV there or call up if the DMV. Apparently they give out registrations over the phone. To anybody that hmm. says, Hey, I made a homemade trailer, and they go, Okay, well, your new VIN number is this, and your plate's in the mail, and you'll get a trailer plate from Maine. That's, and you could just call up and talk over the phone. They have some kind of loophole in the law where no one checks oh. to see if it's stolen. Mm-hmm. So everyone's like, Oh, it's going to get registered with a Maine plate, and then it'll never be yours again. I was like, Oh, great. Thanks for the words of encouragement. <laughs> so
2: it's, I think that's the state. My buddy built a motorcycle out of like, spare parts and stuff and salvage stuff. And in Ohio, I guess it was difficult to get a VIN number on it, so he registered it in another state, somewhere on the East Coast, so maybe it was Maine. And then after he got it it registered in Maine, then he just transferred it to Ohio. It's like, because of some stupid loophole. Yeah, that's crazy.
1: Yeah, I I guess that works in Georgia. It may not be the exact same thing, but when I got my first Vespa, um, I bought it from this company in Santa Barbara would go over to Italy and like just find old Vespas like laying on the side of the road or, you know, whatever. And they would fill up a container full of these original 60s, fifty sixties 60s Vespas, bring them back. And then they, it was a Vespa shop. So they would bring them back to Santa Barbara, restore them and sell them. And uh, a buddy of mine worked there. And so I picked one out from Santa Barbara. They shipped it from there to Georgia and I just, like, went into the DMV and kind of did the same thing. Like, I need to register this thing from Italy that has no numbers. And they were like, okay. gave me like, 20 bucks, and then I was registered. So I don't know if it's the same situation as Maine, but it was surprisingly easy to register a vehicle.
2: I mean, it's a scooter, maybe a car or a trailer would be different. I don't know. Jimmy, where does it say "Dresta" on the trailer so people know to look out for it?
0: Uh, well, it's it's got a tilt deck, so the back has kind of like a little bit of a like a slanted fin on it. So when it goes down, it touches the street. And right mm-hmm. there, it's kind of steel decking with a couple of lights embedded into it. And right across there, it says the rest are about four feet wide. And then on the front, there's a locker that has a whole bunch of stuff in it, which is probably gone, like lashing straps and chains and stuff. And right across the top of that, it says the rest are in f- the same font, four feet, the same stencil size, and white paint. And it's black with wood, with white paint letters on it. So Taylor said, Google to rest the trailer. Maybe they're so stupid they think that's the brand of it. Huh. I just
1: thought of something that would be really, really cool. What if somebody you know actually stole the trailer from you to go pick up some crazy, awesome piece of machinery and <laughs> loaded it up and brought it back to you and be like, ta-da.
0: Well, that would be very nice and pleasant. They better hurry up. Before they get arrested. <laughs> so,
1: if you're the thief and you're out there and you stole it, you can spin this. Go find him an awesome piece of machinery, throw it on the trailer and bring it back and be like, hey, just thought you'd want to have this thing. Yeah. There. I'm solving problems.
0: Better not be seized up, whatever it is. It better be moving parts. <laughs>
2: Don't bring well, me work other than to the do. trailer.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, other than the trailer, what have you been up to?
0: Oh, uh, well, Laura was in the shop, so I was kind of helping Laura out a little bit, making sure she was keeping busy. She did an amazing video with just like a limited time in the shop because it was cold and we kind of had a lot of distractions since uh, we did the podcast considering the stolen trailer. And I was kind of busy running around checking all the usual suspects everybody was telling me about. I was just checking people's yards and stuff. So I was kind of busy and distracted. And, uh, but Laura put out a great video. I, it was great to watch her shoot from afar and then see what she saw through her camera it was amazing i watched the video last night she edited it while she was traveling and uh i got to working last night I, I really put my nose to the grindstone considering all my distractions and I, i'm working on a burns matic video which is all bent up wire i did an instagram post to that which by the time this airs maybe it'll be done and i'm doing numbers for a building in brooklyn that was a former printing press and they turned it into condos and so the architect knows me through YouTube, and he contacted me and said, hey, we had this idea to make these numbers for the building look like old typeset. Was that something you could handle? And so we we discussed an idea, and I bought a chunk of aluminum, and we CNC'd the numbers out so it looks like the end of old typeset. They read correctly. They don't read in mirrored image, of course, because that would be confusing. And uh, so... (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I said, I go. Well,
0: let's just make the whole number backwards, and he's like, "No way, people won't understand how to read it." <laughs> it was my first inkling. Anyway, so uh, we made the numbers for that house in Brooklyn. I made them last night, and so today I gotta, I gotta mod, I gotta work on the you know the post CNCs, sand them a little bit, and they're really sharp corners, so to get the sharpness out, and then they want them to look a little aged, so I gotta age them a little bit, and then give them a coat of lacquer. How are that we gonna was age, uh,
1: aluminum? uh There's a
0: there's a material called birchwood. Birchwood uh, Casey makes a company. It's a company that makes blackening agent. So it'll blacken it a little bit. It'll look a little kind of weathered. Uh, and aluminum will oxidize immediately anyway. So it's uh, if I left it out, it'll oxidize, and then all they need to do is kind of polish the front of the letters from time to time with Scotch Brite or something. But I'm going to do that just to kind of move it along as as they they see it, and they're just gonna use vhb because there's a really shiny portion of the building they're just going to vhb it right to like a steel painted section of the building so i don't know what that means uh uh, vhb is very high bond 3m tape the stuff that's on gopro okay yeah the letters are about half a pound each they're pretty heavy aluminum so they they're pretty confident because these guys know their business they're just going to put up a straight line and just stick it to the building so i don't have to install it but it was it was a great lesson in CNC. My first cut was super conservative. I was going down ten thousandths of an inch, and it took about three and a half hours to cut the first letter. And then I tweeted it and right away, I Instagrammed it and right away. Everyone's like, "You can speed that up, you know. You can do <laughs> all the you know the the people that know more than me." And so the next cut I took, I took a much deeper cut, and it cut off literally almost two and a half hours from the from the cut time. Whoa! Yeah. Wow. And probably so saved a uh, bit. Uh, yeah yeah because when you run it too when you run it too shallow it, it, it could overheat the bit because you're not taking a big bite it kind of rubs mm. it doesn't really necessarily cut those bits apparently really want to do the work and it's just nerve wracking when you hit it and it's like screeching and then it's screeching for like <laughs> one full and a half hour one and a half hour and you're like please hold out because I have one <laughs> more letter to cut mm. and I only have one you, bit and it's 12 o'clock on Sunday night
1: did you cut those on the shop bot or the tour yeah rack?
0: the big new shop bot the big shop bot yeah. Yeah, so, I do you think, th-
1: think you'll use the the Tormac anymore? Do you have
0: any need for uh, it? uh oh yeah no absolutely definitely I'm working on a I'm still working on a small project I wanted to work on and uh, I might get some instruction from my buddy Kevin who is my my teacher at Saunders he's going to help me on a little side project. It's been too cold out. It's been too cold out and uh, the machine actually it works a little weird in the cold. It, it keeps giving me a reset dialog box and stuff so um once the shop is up and heated, it's going to be moved into the new shop, so it'll have a consistent temperature. So, right on Yeah. So that's the reason I haven't really been using the Tormac. But I, when it's up and running, I use my Tormac to CNC all the the, the ice picks.
1: So oh, okay, I was going to say, like, what makes what makes you use one machine over the other? Because they uh, like, precision. I mean, obviously the precision.
0: Well, because the the has uh, got a vice it's got the little four inch vice and it's always spot on. Whenever I put a nice uh-huh. pick in a CNC, uh, I usually have a wooden jig with like a screw and like a piece of tape to center it <laughs> literally. Cause you can center it over like, you know, five or eight, six thousandths of an inch. You put a piece of tape in and move it over. You know, that's like about a piece of tape. Blue tape is about four thousandths. And so I put two or three layers to move it over if I have to center the logo. But on the Tormach, I could just cheat it and, you know, just tell the machine move over to four thousandths of an inch and it and it was over four thousandths of an inch on this it's just a different mindset of how to cnc so nice. it, it's great it's great to have the choice honestly so
1: yeah i bet <laughs> sweet
0: but I, i'm they still learning to. how to go from from fusion to the tour that's that's been my big hurdle
1: but mm. what's time. the What's different about that than uh,
0: just the, uh, the there's so many choices when you're designing and developing a cutting path and in, in the post pro, post-production on a on a Tormac. when you go from fusion when you go into the to the cam system there is so many choices for CNC and, you know how to make your tool path and that's what makes me super nervous so I've done it I've done it but I'm not confident enough to do it for something complicated so once you get into tooling and cutting paths on, Fusion, there's so many choices. Like you know, which which cutting path to choose, and the regular Vectric software. There's just a few simple things. It's like, do you want to cut on the line? Do you want to cut a pocket? If you want to cut a pocket, how do you want to do it? And over there, there's like seven choices, ten choices, and none of them are really like descriptive in their title. So that's a whole nother conversation.
1: Hmm. I haven't. I have zero experience with the CAM stuff in Fusion, so I haven't had any reason yet to get to that but my big cnc will be up and running hopefully at the end of this week Uh, everything should be in today and tomorrow so
2: i'm gonna have to figure it out pretty soon (laughs) i think me do you see there's a nice new white wall behind me yeah so Yeah. yeah so in my office i tore down the ugly mahogany paneling i'm sure at one time it was beautiful but it wasn't anymore and now um i have there's a closet door and then an an entry door here and this tomorrow we're going to take them down and we're going to i haven't come up with the design yet but we're gonna modernize them a little bit maybe um almost like a retro modern thing where we're gonna paint them and we're probably gonna make it look like they're paneled by adding trim but maybe not in a traditional way we might pull some like mid-century modern designs and and um make it maybe make it look like there's a window in there where i can change like the a piece of plexiglass and add color to them i don't know i'm still after the podcast i'll I'll be designing how this door is going to look and then tomorrow we're gonna we're gonna execute that and it'll be it'll be painted yeah
1: that's cool i'll be interested to see that
2: yeah a, a little closet door makeover
1: did you do the wall behind you? Like, did you do all the drywall work for
2: that? I did, and on your it camera, looks it probably looks perfect. It is nowhere near oh. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> it looks nice uh, and flat from a front view. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I uh, so there's a there's a floor lamp, and when I turn that on, the floor lamp is right by the wall. You can then see the the mistakes oh. where the where the um, drywall comes together, but it's it's good enough. I'm, I just got to get over. The fact that it's not paint it with a
0: flat paint. Don't paint it with a gloss paint. Oh
2: yeah, it's eggshell. Everything in our house gets painted with eggshell just to to hide all that stuff. Yeah, Mm.
0: that's a good detective uh, way to detect whether something's smooth or not. Just run a flashlight sideways at it. Yeah, perpendicular. Like if you're gonna buy an antique car, you want to see how bad the bodywork is. Just run a flashlight in the dim light sideways, and you see all those imperfections in the bodywork immediately
2: cast shadows yeah yeah when when um i i don't do a lot of mudding and drywall and so every the the two times that i did do it i had to look up watch some videos to see how it's done and when you see a professional drywaller do the mudding and they do the the three-day process they make it look really easy then when you go to do it it's a little bit more difficult and now I sort of understand the comments when people say oh you make that look easy because mm-hmm. I have control over what people can see and how I edit the video and, and maybe some experience comes into play there too and so it kind of made me understand that that particular comment a little bit better
1: yeah I I used to be I, I'm I'm really bad at drywall I used to hate it now I just kind of like dislike it. But one thing I figured out a while ago that kind of made it more bearable or made me get closer to the result that I wanted was, you know, typically you'll put the mud down and then you come back and you do a sanding and then you mud a little bit again to fill in the whatever's and you sand and then you prime. And then, so I found that using a uh, grout sponge that the ones that have like a rough side and a soft side Mm -hmm. for if you're doing grout on the floor, if you get one of those really wet after the first coat of mud is dry, you can like take the wet sponge over the mud and it softens the mud enough to feather the edges. So you end up with doing your first like air quotes sanding pass. It's really Mm -hmm. just squishing it out and feathering it. And there's zero dust. So especially if you're doing drywall in a place where you don't want to deal with, you know, the dust of doing drywall, (laughs) using a wet, uh, just barely wet sponge is a really good way. And since the the grout sponge has like a rougher side on the other side, if you need to kind of tear down a lumpy section or, you know, if you have a high spot that will actually scrape it down a little bit, but then being wet, it holds everything that gets torn away. So, so just a tip.
2: Um, uh, I'll tell you, uh, the, the tip that I used. And I will also tell you where, uh, a lot of the frustration came from. So on, on day one of drywalling, you, the, the seams, you, you, you mud it and then you take your paper and you wet that and then you put that over top of that. And then you, uh kind of squeegee that into the mud and then on day two you you cover that with more mud and I found there was a couple spots where the tape kind of bubbled up and I did not get it either wet enough or it did not adhere and that's where the pain comes in because then you have to cut that out fill that up let that dry do your next coat and um, so I know the next time if I ever do another drywall project, make sure I'm taping properly and to pay more attention to that. And that's interesting. I, I, I never actually used the, sorry, go ahead. I, I was going to say, um, and then my, what I did to speed things up and keep the dust down is I just took my random orbit sander on its lowest speed with uh, 220 grit and just over the drywall and made sure that when I was touching the drywall, I wasn't getting underneath the paper, you know, just real light, and it was no dust, and it was super smooth and super fast. Hmm.
1: So I, I've never used the, the tape that you've talked about. I always use – there's like a mesh tape, and so it's a little grid, and it has an adhesive back. And so when you put that down, the mud that you've put down before that squeezes through so you don't have any potential bubble like what mm. you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really helpful. And then also I've used – a, an orbital sander before to sand drywall and it completely burn up the that how, that stuff's so abrasive that it burn up the brushes and something else on the inside of the sander completely ruined a sander and it was oh. after like doing several rooms I mean it's not like doing one wall is going to do that oh yeah but that fine dust that stuff, is no good for it it will destroy your sander yeah
0: hmm. so and by the way to get a good to get a good uh, flat wall you really need like kind of a long board sander you need one of those you know, those squares on a broom, mm-hmm. that, that gives you a little bit more long stroke and it, it gets rid of, because when you, when you sand locally, you tend to like make little divots and valleys and then you won't pass the flashlight test.
2: True. <laughs>
1: <laughs> pass the flashlight test. Yeah. We we're at a point, I think we're done with drywall in our house, but um, we're at a point now where we're like going back and looking at, there's a few rooms that we haven't painted yet. Cause we couldn't decide on paint. And like, we haven't done the flooring in the kitchen yet. And there's, you know, it's been livable for a long time, but now we're like, okay, now we got to take our, our second attack here and figure out, like, we've got to finish the house. And so for the first time over the weekend in a long time, we started painting walls again and hanging pictures and doing house stuff, which is cool in one way because it feels like we're, like, moving ahead, you know, and trying to, like, really settle into the house. But I hate painting, so
0: yeah, <laughs> there's that. That's the worst yeah. We're, we're the worst thing about painting is the residual is like having like the little pile of like, okay, are we done yet? There's like a pile on the corner of like the paint and the brushes yeah. that have like half paint on them. And that that was like in my house, this sits around for like a year. It's like, I'm yeah. not sure if I'm done yet. I'm like, can we just pack this up and throw it away?
2: Oh, we have a deadline. Well, and like... <laughs> yeah well oh. we should have
0: one too it's a good idea
2: yeah we have we have hardwood floors being installed at the end of the month and uh, all the flooring is just sitting in the dining room waiting for the company to come in and install it so we're doing all the painting now in the living room and yeah. dining room and hallway so having a deadline helps mm. yeah i bet it does that's a good call well what
1: are you gonna talk about today
2: We talked about drywall for (laughs) two minutes. (laughs) We could talk about stuff I know nothing about that I still attempt. Uh, I saw that you got a new tool, and I wanted to talk about new tools. Tell us what you got,
1: Bob. Yeah. I got a joiner, a 6-inch shop fox joiner. And I don't know what the length of the table is, but, you know, it's kind of standard. I don't know. It's it's not a benchtop thing. It's a a freestanding. And it was one of those tools that I... I have a little tiny benchtop joiner that's like almost useless. It's really lightweight. And so, without bolting it down to a table, you know, it skips along while you're pushing something through it. And I mean, I I got it used. So, and I put new blades on it and it works for what it was. But my experience with that little benchtop thing said to me, this is not really that useful of a tool. Because in the past, I've mostly used dimensional stuff or stuff that's already milled, you know, that I don't really need to plane a whole lot, little things here and there. Um, anyway, so Josh had been talking about setting up his shop and he kept saying like, you know, I can't wait to get a, a good joiner and planer. Like those were like two of the things he was really excited about because in his experience, having those two let him get exactly what he wanted out of a piece of wood before he started actually working with it. And I just hadn't had that experience, you know, I mean, I've, I've had both of those tools. They've kind of worked and kind of done what I thought they should do. And so anyway, he was up uh, in Louisville a couple weeks ago and went to this like bargain. I was like, what was it called? It's like bargain world or something. And he, he saw that they had tools. And so he went up there and he sent start sending me pictures of like, they have everything. It's this crazy giant warehouse store and you walk in and it looks like Harbor Freight. It's like a mm-hmm. bunch of cheap stuff. And then you walk into the next room and there's like a whole set of jet tools and saw stop and Festool in the back and like just tons of stuff. And then you walk past that and there's appliances and beds and Mm -hmm. some crazy store. Anyway, I didn't go to the store, but he sent me a bunch of pictures. So he goes up there and finds a good deal on the joiner. And I said I had been thinking about it for a couple of months since we had been talking about it a lot. And I said, well, okay, go ahead and get one. We'll put it in the shop and we'll see. I've already used that thing like. I don't know three or four times. <laughs> it's totally awesome, and it's one of those things where I I didn't think it was really that useful, really that worthwhile. And now that I have it, I'm like, man, why did
0: I put that off
1: for so long?
0: It's nice because it was.
1: It's it's not that expensive. I mean, it's you know, it's uh, seven hundred bucks, I guess, which is seven hundred bucks. That's expensive, but it's not like an unattainable amount of money that I you know. Like, I just couldn't swing it for a long time. I could swing it. I just didn't really think it was valuable. But, man, now that I have it and I've used it and it works so well, like, and I, I don't even have, like, the helical head. A lot of people get the helical heads on them, and that makes them even better, and you don't have to sharpen the blades, and you don't have to do, you know. But I don't know. It was just surprising how much of a difference uh, having a bad cheap joiner versus a decently priced, not even a high price, but a decently priced one. The difference is pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, I, I always say, um, putting making a justification for a seven eight hundred dollar buy, if you're going to make it back with a job or two, you know, shortly after you purchase it, it's definitely justifiable. So when you think about expanding your shop and you know, do I really need this tool? And well, the trailer was a perfect opportunity for me. I mean, not to reminisce about something I've lost, but the trailer. When I first decided to get it, I finally got a job where I needed it. And it was that when I did that, I had to go recover an old car. And I could have hired somebody to go do it and, and get involved. But I took the opportunity. The job had a lot of profit in it to me to recover an old car, turn it into the George Dickel shelf. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, when I made the video, they had, they had some kind of hang up about the whole car thing. They, they agreed to it. They paid me. And I used the majority of that money to buy that trailer. So I saying I had a job, but now it was an opportunity to get the trailer. And as soon as I got the trailer, I was able to immediately go, oh, okay, I can go get all these other things now that I, you know, where I would have had to hire somebody and or rent a trailer and, you know, not really having experience with it. It would be awkward to rent a big trailer like that and use it with my car. But now it's my own, and I got to know it. Um, but uh, the situation with the, the with the car was that I got the car and then Dickle, Got cold feet because I changed the Chevy logo. This is a long story, but they got nervous. They said, the video is enough for us. It's good promotion for us. They were afraid that since I changed the Chevy logo to George Dickel that they were going to get in trouble with Chevy. It was completely ridiculous Mm. because it was just going to go in the showroom. And uh, anyway, they let me keep everything. So I have the shelf in my garage. And I gave David the whole truck with the bed back. And that's the bed that David now has. David Welder has fixed back up. So for those people in the know, that's why I told that little story. Anyway, so um, having that trailer was something that I didn't think. I thought it was kind of a uh, an overreach for me to buy it. But when I got it, I used it for so many things. Like on a whim, I'm like, oh, I can go pick up this. Or, or when I moved around the block to my shop, I immediately loaded it up with a bunch of heavy equipment, which was too heavy to put into the bed of my truck. But I could drag it up with a come-along onto the bed of the trailer. So you you grow into these tools these big tools that you think you don't really need you're not sure if you need them but then when you get them suddenly you have all these uses for them
2: I yeah. w-
1: David do you have anything like that that you
2: So um we're going to go back to the joiner so I used to have Ooh. that little grizzly one that's you know the size of your forearm and I I didn't really use it much because it was so small and it doesn't really get boards flat because the bed on it is so small And I ended up giving that to my father-in-law. And then I didn't have a joiner for a little bit. And then the local woodcraft in town was selling uh, their Powermatic six-inch one that was used in the classroom for like super cheap. And I just jumped on it and got some friends and we went to go pick it up. And so I had that in my old basement shop for a while and... I ended up not using it very much because the, the beds were never calibrated and it always looked like a pain in the butt to try to calibrate a joiner. And so I was never getting anything super flat or uh, I just wasn't getting any good use out of the tool. And it was taking up a, a huge amount of space in my tiny little basement shop. So I then sold that and I haven't had a joiner in a year and a half, two years or so. And you can get by without a joiner because there's certain things you can do on the table saw with a joining sled. There's certain things you can do in your planer with a joining sled. And so I've been doing that, but it's still, it's kind of a pain in the butt, especially when you're trying to be super efficient. And then there's just certain things you just can't do without a joiner. And so uh, two weeks ago, my buddy Jack, what's up, Jack? He came over and installed 220. Uh, another 220 outlet in the wall so we could get a joiner here and um i was just like okay this will be this will be later in the year down down the road and it just so happens my local hardwood dealer kencraft they are now a rycon dealer and they're getting their first shipment of rycon tools and the joiner that i was looking at was the eight inch helical head uh joiner and uh yeah. And because I have their, I have the Rycon 16 inch helical head planer and I love it. Um, this is not sponsored. I, you know, paid money for that and uh, I'm very happy with it. So now I want to get their, their joiner and I get, uh, um, I, I have this connection with, with with Kencraft. So I'm getting a little bit of a discount. Not, not much, but they still have to make their money. But uh, the lucky thing is, like, since I'm friends with the, uh, the people at Reich or at uh, KenCraft, they're going to deliver it to me it to my house. Ooh, so, nice. yeah, and so that'll be coming in. Um, I'm not sure when, probably a few weeks or so, and then I will have that joiner that I can use to speed up my workflow. And so it, it that is one of those weird tools where I've I've had it, I've used it, and I've had it and not used it, but. Uh, it, I, I I've told people I'm gonna get I'm gonna get some crap because I've told people that oh I don't need a joiner that's why I don't have one because I don't need one and now I'm gonna get one and people are gonna going to question it. But <laughs> um, but like in woodworking, there's there's always five ways to do a, a a simple little thing, and so it's it's whatever you have on hand or, or the way you want to work. And I think the the miter saw is another one of those tools. For a long time, I didn't have a miter saw because I can make crosscuts on my table saw using a sled. And and then eventually one Typically day... Typically
0: much more accurate, too.
2: And much more accurate. You're you're right. And one day I'm like, I need to speed up my workflow because I'm making videos and I just want to be able to have two tools set up. One I can, I can have stops doing the crosscuts and one I can... Have the the rip fence doing doing rips, and so I got one, and now, man, I couldn't imagine not having a miter saw because it's just so easy there's no I don't have to pull out the stupid, heavy sled and throw it onto the t- table and and um so it's it, it it's all how how you want to work. I have a question for you though Bob. you said, um i want to know how you used it and what you would have done before you had the joiner. Um, Hmm. so I made a uh, uh,
1: coat rack and we had like a an eight foot long piece of walnut that was about one inch thick. And the original idea for this thing was I was going to, and it, it was milled, it was planed. So it had two smooth faces, but the outside edges were pretty rough. And so the original idea was I was going to cut this into two strips, glue them together to make a block, make a square block. And then somehow turn it into a cylinder. And I had the idea of like cutting it into sections and putting it on a lathe and trying to turn each one and then reattaching them. We were going to make a, like a router sled kind of thing where you could stick it in a box and spin it and then run a router over top of it, which sounds crazy and dangerous, but (laughs) probably would work pretty well. So we had all these ideas for it and the first step of that was to, um, you know, was to get Get it into a square and then knock off the corners, so you had an octagon. And so I got this cut down and glued up into the block, and then I went to to start to knock off the corners, and I thought, well, like I don't know if the cylinder thing is going to be worthwhile. So maybe I should just uh, use the joiner to square up all the edges first, and I get like a really nice cylinder. And so I ran the cylinder or ran the square through ended up with, like, a perfect-looking square on all four sides. And at that point, when I saw that, I was like, I'm making this way too difficult. I need to knock off the corners and make the pole of this thing an octagon instead. And I I don't think if it had stayed rough for the sake of turning it into a cylinder, I wouldn't have seen that. But since I was able to square it off and see, like, the, the grain was so nice on all four sides of this thing, um... And it was eight feet long, so I could not have gotten that good of a, you know, a finish or a surface on all those sides using that little tiny joiner that I had. And, I mean, I guess I could have done that on the table saw, but it would have not been quite right. It would have taken me longer, several more passes to get it right. So, basically, I took the square, I took it on the, uh, the joiner, got really nice sides, and then took it to the table saw and cut off all the corners and ended up with an octagon. And it just was better. Mm. And so I think it was interesting because it you know wasn't a necessity there, but it took me in a different direction than I would have than my brain was going initially because I was just thinking oh, it's got to be a cylinder, like obviously it's got to be a cylinder, and I was kind of dreading doing that, and so it gave me a, you know a different direction to go in, hmm. um, but I think it's it, part of it is just the old one, the small one that I had, it was so and it's you know very similar to the one that you had, I'm sure it's like really really short just had rubber feet set on a table. Mm -hmm. And every time I pushed something through there, I felt like I was gonna push the tool off the table. (laughs) And it was just like, you know, it made me not wanna use the tool, which made me look for ways around having to flatten a face on something. And so I think the thing that was weird about that, or the thing that I realize now, is that I was avoiding doing certain things because I didn't have a tool that, you know, that I felt comfortable using to accomplish that task. And so just by getting, investing a little money into a thing that I know will stay exactly where I put it, even if I'm pushing a big piece of wood through it, I'm more likely to say like, oh yeah, well, let's just go joint this face real quick. No big deal. It's not like a hassle. It's not something I have to worry about or, and so from my perspective, it's just like the investment is worthwhile to make it more efficient and just to feel comfortable with Doing a task that I it's I'm not gonna have to worry about it. There's no like mm-hmm. negative thing to attach to the task, you know. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah.
0: No, absolutely. Like for instance, I was CNCing last night and I got into the first path was like three hours long. I, I made a mistake and I got started. I was like, let me just see it through. I left, I went and walked the dogs, I came back and it was still cutting. And then I did the second one and I adjusted the cutting path and now it was only an hour long and now it was midnight. And I was like, you know what, I'm in here. I'm, here, I'm doing it. I don't want to have to close the computer and reset everything tomorrow, I'm here. So I bit the bullet and I did my third cut last night it ended at 1 a.m. And uh, just the idea of knowing I'm in the mindset, I'm there. Something you said reminded me of that. So I didn't mean to jump in and say something that was incongruous with what you previously said.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I had a, a, a question to jump back to. Uh, David, you have been working on, like, making your space efficient in your new shop. And I assume you didn't lay out your space with a, a big 8-inch joiner built into the design. So has adding that to your, like, well-thought-out space, has that been a good thing, bad thing? Is it hard to find a place for it? or
2: No, it, was, it wasn't really hard to find a place. Once I – so – the, the thing that made it complicated was my laser cutter it needs to exhaust outside and my laser cutter has been underneath my window and when i use it i just open up the window and throw the dryer hose out the window and i have recently decided um that i'm going to drill a four inch hole in the wall and make a an exhaust port for that and so last night i built off camera no i didn't film it but i built a stand just for my laser cutter and that's getting moved to the other wall where there is room for it and uh sometime this week i'm going to drill that hole which I'm a little nervous about but it should be okay and then that's where the uh the joiner's going to go and it just I, i'm lucky enough in my shop where there is enough room for for all these tools there is a little bit of play in, in the space that I have. So, and it's, it's going to be nice because this thing is going to be massively heavy and it's going to be right inside the door. So, once we get in there, it's just drop it off and I can, I can set it up. So, I didn't have any issues nice. fitting it into my space.
0: One cool. thing about a joiner that you got to remember is you need some good in feed and some good out So, if you have at least eight feet in front and eight feet in back. Last night, my buddy Peter, who was working in my shop, jointed about seven or eight 15 foot boards. And my planer was now perpendicular to the CNC machine. So we turned it about 40 degrees so that it can come at it from an angle and it gave it a lot more in feed and out enough for the 15 foot boards he it did. it's nice to use that big old machine that I have. It needs a new head though. It needs, it has like straight blades. So they like, you hear them slap, they go pop, 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 pop. So if I had the helical head, it would be better, but it's a few thousand dollars. I'm trying to find a situation where I can get one.
2: Mm
1: yeah the, the helical heads for every machine that I've ever looked at them, well, for my joiner and the planer, they're like almost as much as the machine itself, just to get that head. It's crazy, yep I mean I guess it's worthwhile in the long run if you use it a lot, but man
2: my my Rycon planer with the helical head it's I don't even need the sand when the wood comes out of there. I mean it's like glassy smooth, and it's half the noise it's it's so yeah. it's so incredible um. how beautiful the wood comes out of that machine i can't I, i'm mm. I, i'm amazed every time i use it and it's a luxury it's a it's definitely a luxury thing you don't have to have yeah. the helical head um but it does it saves me a little bit of work which is really my important machine sounds like a helicopter going when it <laughs> the thing is massive too
0: <laughs> I, I need to change the pulley per, uh pulley relationship so that it, it spins faster but in the meantime it still it, it gets you going so if you have like a pita piece of rough cut lumber, That's because when you get a piece of rough cut, it's obviously not straight, but then when it dries, it twists. You put it through that, it gives you a nice surface to at least put it through the surface planer, then you flip it over and cut off the the rough cut from the planer. It's a it's a rough, flat cut, but it's, mm. it's good enough to get you going.
2: Yeah. Hmm.
1: Are there any other tools that either one of you guys uh, think, like if I, it's not a necessity, but if I had this thing, it would make my workflow that much more, you know,
0: I like remember personally, or
1: easier or. When, uh,
0: personally, when I first saw the machine lathe that I have, my nine inch South Bend, which is in the one I use most often in my old videos, when I first got that, I didn't know what the hell I was going to do with it, but I just knew I wanted it. I, I just, something about it, I'm like, wow, this is a cool antique machine. I have to have it. And when I first got it, I didn't even know what to do with it. Bob, like you, like you said, you didn't really know what to do with it. You didn't, couldn't figure out an application for it. But in time, now it's indispensable. I, I absolutely need it. And then, of course, I bought a bigger one. But just having a machine like that around, you know, you grow into it. You start to figure out why you need it. And it just expands your set and, and the things you can do. Well, that was been my experience. I bought that used in Chinatown in New York, actually right across the street from where Tom Sachs, shop is right now, hmm. uh, probably 15 years ago. And I paid $500. I walked into the store. It wasn't for sale. I said, is that for sale? And the guy goes, let me ask. And he went in the back room and goes, yeah, 500 bucks. Cause it was like a shop that looked like it was getting closed. And, hmm. uh, I came back later with my truck and picked it up, and brought it into the basement. It Was like the first year I had the basement shop because for the first time I had more space again for the first time in a couple of years, and so I wanted to get that lathe when I saw it. But I didn't. I didn't. I knew I wanted a lathe, but when I saw it, I'm like, oh, I want that lathe, and I went in and just asked, and I got it. And I grew into it, and you know, it opened up my whole world to machining, which prior to that I hadn't done anything.
2: So that question, I have. I have a tool that I want to use more, but I don't. And that's my circular saw because there's no dust collection on it. And it just makes a mess. And I wish I would have gotten the one with the dust collection and and a track system. And so that's a regret. Uh, because I'm I, especially building all this shop furniture and I have these big pieces of plywood and it's really, really difficult to run through the table saw. And I'm like, oh, this would be a lot easier with a circular saw and a straight edge or, or a track. But I know that it's just it's going to create all kinds of dust and it's going to make a huge mess. So that's kind of a, a regret that I will eventually fix. But hmm. as far as tools that I've bought and just kind of lay around and never use, I don't really have that as far as breaking stuff. Um if we're going to talk music, I have all kinds of stuff that I bought and never used.
1: Yeah, I have that too. Well, you I mean, with shop tools, you had kind of a purge a while back anyway, where you get rid yeah. of stuff that you weren't really using too. So yeah. you've pared down, which is cool. Um I so having seen you always have a drum sander, that's one of those things where I I have a really hard time justifying the cost. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I feel now that I've got the planer and I realize, like, I put that off for a really long time. But it makes things faster and easier. Now I'm thinking maybe the drum sander's like more usable and more worthwhile than I have thought so far. It's still a lot of money mm-hmm. though. <laughs> but I, think I don't. That might be yeah, the next I really don't understand.
2: I really don't understand why drum sanders cost a lot more than other tools. Because I mean, it's just it's a it's a belt with with a, a sanding drum on, on top of that, and uh, they are expensive. And again, it's a luxury item you don't have to have, but it's it'll save you lots of time and it makes life a lot easier. Yeah,
0: and I don't so show it on camera very be, often.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, it's it's an off-camera tool, and I'll, t- I'll tell you why. It's be- because I'll get I'll get the comments of uh, you know that's an expensive tool. I don't have that. Or do you have to have a drum sander? And I'm like, no, you can just, you can, you can hand sand something, but it's, it's one of those things that yeah, I run it through, I run it like Eric, don't film this. I'm just going to run it through here to, to, to flatten this board or take off a, a 30 second or whatever. And then we, we film the next step.
1: Yeah. That's kind of the way I would look at probably using it too. Cause it's like, it's really an efficiency thing. Mm-hmm. You can sand it by hand. You can sand it with, a piece of sandpaper or a sander or a drum sander, you know, but I kind of feel like it would end up being one of those things where I just did it off screen, off camera and then said, and I sanded it. Mm-hmm. You can decide how you would, you know, interpret that yourself, I guess. But
2: I don't I, know. the first time I ever used one, I was taking a woodworking class here in town and we made this uh, door panel. that had a the, the floating panel and, and, and the four sides and you glue it up and it's not flat. And he's like, "Yep, we'll just run that through the drum sander, and one pass, it's perfectly flat, and it looks beautiful." I'm like, "Whoa, that's amazing!"
0: Yeah, I just saw a couple when we were in Cleveland. We went through a couple of amazingly huge, beautiful shops, and three of the shops we went through, all three of them had these huge drum sanders that were like four feet wide. That take these belts that like the size of like a 55-gallon drum. Like that's Mm -hmm. the biggest. That's how big the belt is. And they're all hanging beside the machine on these big long poles. And those machines are incredible. You could put like a big butcher block table through there. Mm-hmm. And it comes out beautiful on the other side.
2: Well, the the advantage of, of having a longer belt is uh, it, the heat doesn't build up on the belt. And that's where you get yeah. the burning and the clogging is when the heat builds up. And so you got to be real careful on these smaller machine, machines like what we have and what I have in my shop. Mm.
0: Yeah
1: the uh the big cnc is another one of these things where like i don't really have a specific need for it and i'm not sure how useful it's going to be just because like depending on what you're doing i guess i could see it <clears throat> excuse me being really helpful if you were making furniture and you needed to you know produce a bunch of stuff and so i'm kind of curious to see once i get it up and running and i've got some experience with it like if i find enough uses for it to really justify Something of that size and that cost.
0: What's the um, – I noticed you've had it for a while now, Bob. Is there something holding you up or you just been busy?
1: Um, and we got it built, but the the spindle and the spindle controller were shipping separately. And it turned out that some, they actually just forgot to put in the order for those things. Oh. And so we just got out of sync about it. But they should be showing up today and tomorrow. And then um, we – it's a 5 by 5 so we had to buy like kind of a big piece of material. Ended up we're just getting a 4 by 8 sheet. Uh, for the spoil board, but um, we got to get that and put that down before we can kind of get it all set, you know. Mm. But, well, you guys got anything else on uh, tools? Mm. Mm. Trailers?
2: Mm. Trailers, tools. We can talk about uh, trailers uh, more. (laughs) When you get started in, in something like woodworking or metalworking, I think it's really easy... Uh, if you have the cash to just go out and buy a bunch of tools and it might be the, the wrong approach is, uh, yeah, don't, don't buy the tool until you need it. And then you won't have the problem of this thing that's just lying around taking up space that you don't use. Yeah, I totally agree with that.
1: Um, well, you guys been watching anything cool?
2: I think I have a pretty cool pick this week and that is Cammy's garage. So, um, Cammie does these drawings on his Instagram and he did a character caricature. That's a hard word for me to say. I need, <laughs> I need my wife. She's a speech therapist. Um, he, he did this drawing of me and put it up on his Instagram and I was like, Oh my goodness. That's so cool. um, and it, he's done some other, some other YouTubers, really, really good artists. And then I go to his woodworking channel and there's some amazing things on there, some sculptures and stuff. And I love people who get artsy with their, with their woodworking. So please check out Cammy's Garage. Cool. I'm going to shout out Gosford,
0: Han- am I saying it right? Gosford, does he say that? You guys know him, Andy? Gosford Handyman. He's in England. And uh, we met a few years ago when somebody was stealing everybody's videos. His video got stolen and I had to tell him. And uh, we we remained friends and we chit-chatted back and forth. So I'm just going to shout him out. Check out his channel, Gosford Handyman. And he's going to be over at Maker Central. Andy McClellan. Right on. I
1: am not familiar with him.
0: I'll check he's out. He's a nice guy. We, we talk every once in a while, give him some advice here and there.
1: Sweet. Um... So I know I've talked about Alex Steele a million times, (laughs) and I'm sorry that I have nothing new to offer, but specifically, um, I've been watching his, he's making a rapier, the, you know, like the fencing sword looking sword.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. It's
1: beautiful. It's so so crazy.
0: He's so skilled. (laughs) Yeah.
1: But watching, you know, a a lot of the sword, or the building of the sword is very similar to other swords, you know, you Take some Damascus, you flatten it out, you turn it into a blade, you grind the edges, all that stuff. The thing that's different about this one is it has the crazy cage around your hand. Yeah. So it has this, like, bent thing, which is also cool, but the thing that really got me that just really stood out is the handle. The handle on this handle. thing this
0: is, incredible. is
1: it's like blackwood or something. I'm not sure, but he hand-sculpted
0: the spiral in it and then put that wire twist in it. It's so nice.
1: That's the thing that that gets me is it has these spirals, eight spirals that come down the the side and they wrap around the thing like twice. And each one of these is hand-cut with a file. And then on the flats in between these things, there's another tiny groove that goes around and follows the same path. And then he inlaid twisted wire into that little tiny groove. It's beautiful. And I I think like for woodworkers – like watching his process for coming up with the original shape to shape down to the final shape, and then put in those patterns that wrap around, mm-hmm. is really really interesting. Amazing. Um, and it, I think that part applied to me more than you know the, some of the sword making and stuff probably ever will. Um, not that I could do what he did on the handle, but it it like showed me like wow he is he has mastery of stuff that he doesn't think he has any business doing. And he talks <laughs> about not being able to do <laughs> woodworking stuff, but it's crazy. So
0: He's really very, I, I, very skilled. Man, he's, yeah. he's amazing.
1: Um, I'll link that part of the video. It's like part 13 of his sword-making video, but um, I'll put that part in there specifically. The whole series is really, really good, but that one really stuck out. And I've been talking to him. We set up some time to go to his shop while we're in England. Can't oh, wait. cool. Yeah. It'd be very cool. My wife's going to be with me, so maybe we'll both get our first blacksmithing uh, lesson from Alec.
2: Cool. Oh.
1: Very cool, but yeah. Um, got to thank our Patreon supporters, and I'm not prepared, and I didn't get the list of everybody's names out like I should have, <laughs> so I'm going to do that now. Hold, it. Hold, please. Uh, but yeah, everybody on Patreon that supports us uh, is amazing. We're really grateful, and if you want to help out the show, you can go to patreon.com slash makingit, and I uh, want to shout out our top patrons. As soon as the page loads, Make, Build, Modify, Chad from ManCrafting, Dor Sharir, Michael Schubert, Works by Solo, Malton Make, Corey Ward, Evan and Caitlin, and Wise Old Uh, Dow. But there's a huge long list of people past that that also support us in different ways, and we're
0: really grateful for all that. Evan and Caitlin had 50,000 subscribers. Congratulations.
1: Yes. And they're coming to my house next week. Oh right on!
0: Can we just talk what
2: about is, their hustle those guys, for a second? Guys, get around, let's, man. <laughs> those
1: guys, yeah, get around. Yeah, they they do move around a lot. Yes, let's talk about their hustle for a minute.
2: Evan and Caitlin. Okay, you want to start uh, a YouTube channel and you want to you want it to be something. Follow what they're doing because they are putting so much effort. They're putting, they're traveling uh, across the country, visiting other people, doing collabs, doing um, making amazing projects. They're the nicest people you're ever going to meet and just hard working.
0: They show Ditto. up in everybody's shop. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs>
2: yeah. They're really
1: cool. We're looking forward to it. They're going to come hang out with us for a week and we're going to build some stuff. Um, and they're so much fun. They're uh, they're exactly like they you know, seen in the videos, which is really, really cool. So, um yeah, we're gonna be making some stuff with them, and David is completely right. If you want to see how it's done to like make a good channel and to really throw yourself into it, watch what they're doing on every platform. Yeah, <laughs> which might be difficult, <laughs> but watch what they're doing on every platform because they're on every platform.
2: It's a lot of it's a lot of work. Get yeah. When you start a, a if if you start a YouTube channel, it takes a long time for it to get off the ground and get the get the ball rolling, and so. You know, if that's something that you want to do, don't be discouraged by by low numbers for you know maybe a couple years because it does take a long time to get that ball rolling. But they are they are doing an excellent job. Absolutely, cool. Well, you guys got
1: anything else? That was a good one. Yeah, it was all right. (laughs) (laughs) Let let us know what you think. Tweet at us. Or don't. Either way. You know. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll uh, see you next time.
0: Later. I love my trailer. Oh My trailer. Aww, I miss poor my trailer. trailer.
1: Did you name your trailer?
0: Yeah, it was called Jimmy's trailer.